The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. everybody at episode number 64 of collectible live today is sunday march the 5th 2023 and my name is jeremy lee i would like to thank everyone who tuned in last week with our guest brian dwyer of rea auctions great episode with brian you can check that out on the youtube channel but let's get to this week's guest bring him out he's the founder of auction report ryan friedman welcome to collectible live and how are you today I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Hey, it's uh, it's nice to have you, Ryan. Lots of good stuff to talk about with you today. Uh, let's start off with this, though. Auction Report, what is it? What is auctionreport.com? So Auction Report was started in 2005. Uh, basically, what we are is I like to say that we're the billboard of the auction industry. My, our job is to remind everybody, give them the information of when all these auctions are going on, when they're starting, when they're closing, preview some auction results consignment information on a variety of the auction companies. We cover over 50 auction companies in our industry, not just sports, sports memorabilia, but some companies dealing Americana, entertainment, all sorts of uh, different categories. We've expanded that over the years. Uh, but in simple form, you know, again, it's our job to give you all the information on these auction companies so that whether you're a bidder or you're a consigner, want to participate on either side, you have all the information about all these different companies and you can make some quality and wise decisions on who you may want to deal with, who you want to bid with. And, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a great ride. It's our 18th year doing it. And, uh, you know, we have a nice newsletter that goes along with it. It goes out twice a week, uh, which people thoroughly enjoy. And uh, we keep it positive. It's uh, just nothing but good promotion of all these auction houses. All right on. Sounds good. And it's something I've been aware of. And uh, I want to let everybody know uh, you can visit auctionreport.com. The website, yeah, the website is on the ticker right now. Uh, and sign up for that newsletter that uh, Ryan just mentioned. So listen, Ryan, you've been in the hobby full-time since 1996. Yes. I want to I ask you to talk about how you've seen the hobby grow and navigate the economy for those last 27 years. If you could just give, it, give us that synopsis uh, in as long as it takes you. You know, so things have drastically changed since 1996 in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, it actually is quite similar, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Um, you know, in 1996, um, you know, this is pre-internet, there's, you know, which is huge, obviously. Uh, so the auction industry was pretty simple back then, where it was, it was there was more excitement for each auction that always came out back then, because the only way that you would find out about auctions was basically kind of reading Sports Collectors Digest um, back in the day, and they would, you know, come out with an auction printed catalog. 
that you would have to wait for in the mail. Um, and back then, I mean, that was like the anticipation. I couldn't wait to like get my, you know, get this catalog so you can see this great items with their sports card, sports memorabilia. And, you know, back then you didn't have the information and the data available that you have today. So it was, you know, one of these, it was a time where things were kind of just like, you know, when you were bidding or you're consigning, there was just obviously a lot of, not as much information available at your fingertips to make some quality, quality decisions maybe uh, when you happen to be bidding on a product, you know, or an item. Uh, same with like consigning, you kind of had, it was all, it was all old school. You had a call, you had to meet people face to face, kind of had to get a feel for things, uh, keep track manually, write down a lot of the results yourself if you were kind of keeping track on, oh, who should I deal with? Uh, and auctions weren't as frequent at all back in 1996, which made for some interesting, um, you know, when to sell, when to, you know, when to sell your items was always like a key thing as a consigner. Um, so, you know, when things started off, it was just, it was just a lot simpler in some ways. Uh, and as things have, you know, we, we've gone through so many different, um, the economy has changed, gone up and down numerous times in those last 30 years. I mean, I remember, you know, 1990, in the, in the late 90s, um, Things were on fire, at least in my book, things were on fire. I come from Chicago, so I'm part of the Chicago Bulls, you know, Michael Jordan. So, you know, the auction houses that I was dealing with and being in the industry at that time, we were heavily focused on Chicago. So my perspective was things were fantastic in the, you know, in the in throughout the 90s and stuff. Uh, and then as you know, as I moved on, I actually, you know, um, started full time when I was 19, worked for some auction companies, then decided to do my own auction business. Um, and when I started my own auction business, there was this thing called the internet that people were talking about. So this is like late 1997. And no one, it was, it was just so new. No one was kind of really doing anything with it at the time. There was no online auction. I was like one of the few people actually started a real-time internet and phone auction. And we had to find ways to nab. People were like, what is this? Why, you know, what, what, you know, how's it going to work? What's the difference? And, you know, well, we're excited that we, we conducted it. And the way, you know, and since like the late, I'd say like 2000, 2001, things just started exploring from it. The internet really changed things. So, you know, the auction industry today with the internet, with all the information that's available for you, it, it's, it's a lot easier, you know, in general from a production standpoint. So two sides, I always look at things, two sides. I look at from consigner side of things. I look at from the bidder side of things. I actually can throw in a third thing. I look at from the auction house point of view of just production and the business side of things at the end of the day. So, you know, over the last 30 years, Things have ha happened are happening faster. Production is getting quicker. Uh, data is prevalent so that you have a lot more information at your fingertips for both the bidder and the consigner. And I think it allows everyone to kind of you know make their choices a lot easier. Uh, that being the biggest difference. As far as the economy goes, we've seen periods. I've seen it all. I've seen you know up times, down times, you know recessions. Prior to you know between 2000, you know, 2020 to let's say six months ago, I've never seen the industry as hot as it's ever been. Uh, I remember 2008 to 2010s where things were completely opposite, where it was the you know recession, and it was very difficult uh, period of time for a lot of auction houses. But the good news is the auction industry itself is as old as time; it's been around forever, and it'll continue for the next bazillion years. Yeah, well, I, I think so too. A couple of things you said there uh, gave me a few uh, a few ideas to ask you questions on. First one. Or even just comments. You know, you mentioned you used to have to wait for the SCD, the Sports Collectors Digest, to come out to find out what was going to be auction. It reminds me of the 80s and the early 90s, waiting for that next Beckett magazine to come out to find out what your cards were worth or what the what was hot, what was cold, what was going up in value. You had those little arrows beside the columns in, in the price guide. So there's a similarity 
there. We've come a long way for sure. And then the other one is um, just, you know, the sophistication of auctions. And even, you know, this is Collectible Live. Even what Collectible has been doing this year with their bids wanted in competition or the BWIC platform is a new price discovery tool that, you know, it's not your, I guess, you, it's not your sort of um, regular type of auction house or your traditional auction. It's a new method of, you know, blind bidding to have price discovery to give the seller the final decision. Do they want to sell or not? And, um, you know, I, I think that's really cool and innovative. What other sort of innovations are you seeing? You know, even, even PWCC has, has changed the way they're doing their extended bidding. Now it's all access extended bidding. That seems to me like it's an innovation, a pretty obvious one, but, uh, outside of those two, is there anything else that you've seen that really kind of made your eyebrows raise and think, wow, that's a, that's a neat new thing that, that we're seeing in auctions that we never saw before. Well, the biggest difference, obviously, if you go back 30 years, is just simply the notifications of whether it's, you know, outbidding, you know, getting an outbid notice, uh, you know, can, being able to, you know, uh, through text or email, uh, just the information that a consigner has and a bidder has during the auction itself, right? So go back 30 years ago, you know, you had to just call in. What's my consignment at? What's the bid price at? How are my items doing? I mean, everything's at your fingertips now. So that is obviously, you know, is the most obvious of technology advances we've seen. Um, the formats in which the auctions can be held, you know, like you said, the time, you know, the extended bidding period has actually been around again for over 30 years. It's changed and been tweaked over the years to compensate uh, for, you know, what the bidders are going to, you know, what bidders want. And what we've seen is, you know, to make sure that those people that do want to participate have the opportunity to do so. I mean, that's the whole purpose of extended bidding. Um, I mean, again, back 30 years ago, auctions would go to five in the morning. Every major auction house, when you had an auction, it took forever to end. It just was inevitable. You could not close it at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night. They All of them would go to three, four, five, six o'clock in the morning. And it kind of reached the point amongst the auction houses where they just couldn't, like, it was just too much. You know, uh, and you had things like callbacks, for example, you know, where you actually people would have the opportunity to say, hey, before the auctions ends, I'm interested in this a lot. Here's my phone number. Please call me right before you're going to close. And that was kind of like the last moment, the last 60 seconds, so to speak, of, you know, uh, of being able to place a bid. So I would say that, you know, having the information of just notification systems that are in place, these extended bidding rules have really allowed everyone to participate on a fair level as well. Because again, you, you know, it, it allows the auctions to kind of close at a more reasonable amount of time for everybody uh, so that you can participate no matter where you are. Uh, you don't have to worry about getting sniped. Obviously that's a huge difference between like the eBay platform and a major auction houses platform. And I think that, you know, those are, um, you know, tweaking the time is always been a question of what works best for each auction houses clientele and the auction house itself. So. You know, it's interesting that, like I said, the PWCC has gotten rid of that. Um, just, you know, the whole just bid whenever. Um, some of them, you know, some of them might have 15 minutes. Some of them have 30 minute extended bidding. And I think it just fits what each auction house thinks their clientele need and want. So I think that's yeah. that's an important thing. Yeah. It, you know, the other thing is the tightening of those extended bidding windows. You mentioned some have 15 minutes, some have 30 minutes. And in those extended bidding windows, Oftentimes, the way I remember it, even you know, five years ago, was if one bid was placed, every item would extend. And now I feel like the auction houses are trying to just say, 
you know, if if there's no bid on any item or or they go item by item now, it seems mm-hmm. like I know PWCC does on their weekly auction. If there's no bid on the item for five minutes in the five minute bidding extended bidding window, then the auction's over, but the or that item is over, but the rest of the listings will continue. And as the night goes on, they reduce that five minute window to two minutes and then to one minute, which instead of like you were saying, being having to be up until five, four, five, six a.m. the next day, these things end at a relatively early time, usually by midnight Eastern. So it's really tightened it up. And I, I think, you know, as somebody who who uh, covers these things live. I like that. So I don't have to stay up till 6am. But I think the bidders like that too. You you just kind of know what you got to do. Because it seemed almost ridiculous that you'd have to stay up that late. And it seems ridiculous too, to me, that if you've got a 200 lot auction, and nothing gets a bid, but then one item gets a bid that every item extends, that just doesn't make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? So the theories have kind of changed. So, you know, one of the things you have to remember too is auctions today with a lot of these companies, there's thousands and thousands of items being auctioned off and ending on one day, as opposed to, again, way back when in things, you know, 90s and early 2000s, a major auction house would have 500 items. So just to manage that many items, massive increase. Again, you mentioned PWCC having 10,000 items ending, uh, you know, on one night, you, you you couldn't do a third. I mean, it's impossible. Like you said, if you did one bid, the whole auction stays open. It would never close. It literally would go on for three years, probably, because one person would bid on an item and the whole auction would close. You know, again, back in the day, the reason you did that was because sometimes, you know, as a bidder, you're getting focused on one item and you get to a point where you're outbid and you simply want to shift your funds into something else. And maybe you just simply weren't paying attention to it. So, you know, you want to have that opportunity to reshift Maybe what you're expend, you know, what you're you were going to spend into something else. So you need to have like that window to make sure that you know time is available to do so. So again, one of the, the things that have changed over the years is obviously the initial bid period. You know, make sure your bids on a certain period of time, whether you know a lot of these auction houses at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m., and that's when the extended bidding happens. But um, you know, it's every auction house is a little different. I agree. I, I do like personally the lot, you know, after a certain period of time, it's lot by lot closing. So you have like a 10-minute lot on each item. I think that's, I think that's great. And again, I, I agree with you from a bitter standpoint, it does reach a moment where you just get tired. Um, you know, and, and let's not forget though, you do have the opportunity to leave maximum bids uh, with pretty much any auction house. So you don't even have to worry about that. Should you just want to say, hey, here's my maximum bid. If I get it for a lot less than that, fantastic. If I end up getting it for what I you know put in my max, it's just as good. Yeah. Well, I want to welcome everybody who's uh, joined us to Collectible Live tonight. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, for Ryan, Ryan's with Auction Report. Ryan, you're the founder of Auction Report, aren't you? Yes. And yeah, so uh, I want to just continue that. Everybody, if you have any questions, comments, please throw them in the chat. Uh, we'll definitely do our best to get to them. But a bit about you as a hobbyist, Ryan. What do you collect yourself? And how long have you been a collector? I've always been a collector, you know, Michael Jordan, more autographs, memorabilia. It's always been my thing. Um, currently, I, I do collect original photographs. I've been kind of buying those up maybe for about 10 years, um, you know, pr- prior to when and anyone even thought original photographs were going to be much. I uh, kind of just did it as a fun thing. I enjoyed it. I think original photography is kind of like that in between between, a, you know, a card and memorabilia because it can be encapsulated now on top of it. And to me, each photograph is a one of a kind. Um, you know, that's the beauty that I like about it. It captures a moment. Everybody interpretates uh, you know, a photo differently when they look at it. So I think it's fun. It's a great conversation piece and why I've, I've gotten into them. Uh, 
and I still collect, you know, here and there some cool Michael Jordan autographs, you know, when I can. I, I, I prefer the more vintage autographs, as they'd say, you know, prior to Upper Deck. So that's uh, that's my uh, my my interest currently. Yeah, no, good. Uh, nice to know that you you enjoy the hobby. You like to collect still, and and that you've uh, kind of branched out into photographs. That's pretty cool. I've done a couple of episodes on uh, type one, type two photos. I find it really interesting. Uh, you when when you founded Auction Report, what was the what was the catalyst for that? What was your aha moment when you said, "Hey, there's a need for this, and I'm going to be the one to do it." What what tipped you off that there was a need for it, and uh, and what differentiates Auction Report from other services or sites that might be out there? You know, I started it um, obviously with my interest in just the internet itself. You know, at that time, there really wasn't any major news-related website on the internet. Everything was still kind of print uh, magazines, like you mentioned, Beckett, SCD, and whatnot. Um, and I came from a background of, you know, through high school, had the opportunity in 1993, 1994 to, you know, have a uh, test out this thing. Again, this thing called the internet uh, with Northwestern <laughs> University that piqued my interest. Um, it was basically like a giant want ad online. That's pretty much what the capability was at that time. And, you know, from that moment uh, through the next handful of years, um, I just kind of like kept that in the back of my head of something that kind of interests me, would play with it. And, you know, after doing the auctions and, you know, starting working for some companies, doing my own, I, you know, I just had this thing. I wanted to do, do something different that wasn't uh, out there for the auction community. And having a little bit of a background and a good mentor at that time uh, that was heavy into the internet, um, you know, I decided to launch an auction report and found my niche that wasn't, you know, wasn't being fulfilled out there. And, you know, knock on wood, 18 years later, covering 50 plus companies, um, you know, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, what separates us is that we're auction focused. That's all we do. Uh, we don't, uh, we don't have third party advertisements on our sites. We have no affiliate programs on our site. Uh, our job is to give the bidders and consigners, anyone interested potentially in auctions, straight information about the companies that we cover and, and i think that honestly is what separates us from everybody um you know we're a very simple easy platform uh that allows everybody to get the right information and to make some quality decisions for themselves so you said 50 plus auction companies i mean that's a that's a pretty big number and i'm guessing there's some that you don't even have on your site uh no. that would be a guess is there in your opinion are there too many auction houses in the in the uh, hobby right now is there not enough? Uh, are we oversaturated? Are we are we in equilibrium? What are your thoughts on the amount of auction houses in the sports card and memorabilia hobby right now? Well, I might be a little bit biased, but I don't, you know, I don't think there's too many uh, at all. Um, there's, you know, in theory, there's hundreds and hundreds of auctions related to sports cards and sports memorabilia. Might, maybe not auction houses, you know, big companies that deal in that, but there's plenty of, not just from what auction report covers. There's plenty of mom and pop companies as well um, that are out there. I think it's great. I think I've always been a believer that competition's fantastic. No matter if you're the biggest auction house on the planet or the smallest one, uh, it gives everybody, whether you're a bidder or a consigner, that moment a pause to research and find out who can you know help you out for what you need the best. Um, there's advantages with working with large auction houses. There's advantages working with small auction houses. Um, you have to do your research a little bit to understand what it's going to do to help you know help you do what you're trying to do. Whether again, if you're a bidder and trying to get an item, there's advantages sometimes bidding in you know in a bigger auction house or as opposed to a small. Sometimes 
The fact that there are larger auction houses or more auction houses, it gives more opportunity for pieces of sports cards and memorabilia to come to market. Um, it also helps with all the data, which is key to everything that's going on in our industry right now. I mean, without data, none of the, everything you've seen in the last three years doesn't happen, right? Without the auction houses producing all this information on a daily basis, all these new innovations, all these new apps, all these new, you know, the price comparison tools probably don't exist. So uh, I, I do believe that, you know, the more auction houses that are out there that can produce quality auctions is great for our industry as a whole. And it also, it's like a giant web of attracting new people, hopefully, whether they're new to the industry as a whole or new, just new to participating in an auction. I think it's very important. So again, I think um, having new auction houses pop in and grow is, is a fantastic thing. Yeah, I guess I, I can I can buy into that. I think the thing where I struggle a little bit is that it's a lot to manage or to monitor as a collector, uh, somebody who's looking to to buy pieces, having to to navigate and monitor fifty plus auction houses. It for me, it's too much. I I don't think I'm going to put out that effort to do it. And I wonder how many people kind of have that same. Uh, approach or thought that I do, or maybe I don't want to, it's not laziness because it's just, it can be overwhelming at times, but having your site auction report at least lets you know, because you provide a calendar of when all the auctions are happening, when the consignment deadlines are, that's really helpful. But the next step might be, and I think there's probably people working on this. And I know even like, even card ladder will aggregate sales data, data points, you know, sales history from many of these auction houses, but I don't think they're doing 50 of them yet. Um, so there's a couple things there. It's like we want almost we being the hobby, the collectors, it would be nice to have a universal search function where I can search 52 tops Mickey Mantle or 86 Fleer Michael Jordan. And it provides me with the results from all the auction houses, including eBay and PWCC's platform and everything else. But as well as as that, also a sales data aggregator, which I think Card ladder is well on its way to accomplishing. It just has to, or maybe we'll bring in more auction houses as time goes by. Uh, 50 plus is quite a bit. So how, how do you kind of respond to that comment based on your feeling that, you know, 50 is good. It has, there are pros and cons to having that many, but those are a couple of the, I wouldn't even call them cons, but just challenges to your, your everyday collector in terms of monitoring and also aggregating the sales data. Well, I think you have to understand every collector is different. So, I mean, some people are just more, you know, are focused on specific areas and you get to know these auction houses and what they're going to, you know, present in their auction catalogs. I mean, there's some auction companies that uh, specialize in modern day cards as opposed to some auction houses that are strictly vintage memorabilia. So, you know, having 50 auction houses, they don't all necessarily deal in the same type of material. So obviously that helps weed out who you necessarily have to you know, keep track of on a, you know, on a frequent basis. But at the same time, obviously, the auction port does give you a variety of different auction houses to fulfill, you know, the information you are looking for to keep track of, you know, which ones you want to bid in. Um, I, I don't, you know, everyone's different. So I don't know if there's a correct answer. Of what's too many or what's too little? Uh, I do agree with you when it comes to the data collection. That's been the million dollar question for 50 years is, you know, it'd be, yeah, it'd be fantastic. You have one search, you can search everything. Yeah. There's a couple problems with that. Obviously, logistics. Um, is, is tough. It's it's difficult. Every Everyone's not on the same platform, obviously. So getting that data becomes really difficult. And financially, it's a huge investment. I think I don't know that anyone has 
come up with a standalone aggregator for data that is profitable yet as a company. I mean, and that's a big thing. I mean, you know, when you have companies that are doing it, I mean, they're supported by huge investments, right? I mean, you have, um, you know, uh, maybe some other business that could be supporting that part of it as well. It's tough. So you have to, you know, to do it as a small company like myself, people always ask me, how come we don't have, um, you know, search results available? And we just haven't been able to find, you know, the amount of money it would take to do that, the the, the effort that goes into it. it it's just, it, it's a lot more than people sometimes realize. So I think the services that are out there, even though you can't do everything at once, you kind of have to piecemeal getting all your results from a few different sources, so to speak. They're doing a fantastic job. And um, I think, you know, again, that just gives them their opportunity to provide something to bidders and consigners you know, that auction report doesn't and, and vice versa. So yeah. um, I, I don't I don't think that having too many, you know, the auctions that are out there, I don't think there's too many. I do think actually you're going to see more niche auctions. Uh, uh, you just th- you just stole my next question. Sorry about that. Yeah, I think I've been saying this for a couple of years. I think that, you know, the niche auctions are, you can already see it happening amongst the big auction houses, you know, spec- whether it's a, you know, specific collection coming from one consigner, uh, you know, breaking up of a high valued set. Um, offering up it's Sotheby's, for example, it has this, you know, they'll do the game one, Michael Jordan shoe collection that's coming up. I think you're going to see more of that actually uh, down the line. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you about niche, uh, niche auction houses because, you know, there's so, there are, there's a good, there's a handful of sort of the, the leading incumbent auction companies that have been around in the hobby since well, for a long time, since the, the early mid two thousands, let's go back that far. Uh, but they've covered, you know, traditionally they've covered vintage cards. They're starting to get into modern cards as well, but they'll cover the whole gamut really along with memorabilia, historical documents, these sorts of things. But, you know, a friend of mine who, you know, as well, Josh Adams recently launched with a partner, he launched nineties auction. So he's only, his auction house is only selling cards from the 1990s. That is it. That's, that's the rule, you know? And uh, I had him on an episode on an, on an episode of Sports Cards Live last week, and we talked about it. Um, but you know, because we have all these traditional auction houses that are kind of all offering similar products, similar items, and lots. I mean, they're always going to be unique. But it seems to me like if someone wants to break into that business, it might be best to really specialize, as '90s auctions is doing. And I'm just using them as an example. Are you seeing? And I mean, you might have talked about this, but I'll ask you anyway to just dig deeper. Are you seeing a trend towards more of these specialty auction houses? Is 90s auctions one of the first ones you've seen? Do you think we're going to see more? Are they are they pioneering the niche auction house uh, kind of initiative here? Or do you think that, uh, you know, we may see a couple more and that'll be it? The, they are unique right now. I think when it comes to uh, niche auctions, it's more of the you know a, an established auction house that is doing niche auctions within their normal you know premier auctions that they do throughout the year. So you know whether it's like a Heritage, a Golden, you know whomever, uh, REA, um, all these different auction houses. SCP just did one. Um, you know or is it, you know high end you know hundred lots, high end memorabilia. Um, that's what we've been seeing pop up a little bit more frequently over the next over the last couple of years. Uh, 90s auctions, you know, being solely focused and starting off with a very specific category is unique to it. You know, is unique. I have I have not seen another auction house do that just yet. 
Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, when you're starting an auction house is obviously the road to profitability. Obviously, when you shrink your offerings to a specific collector base, you just obviously have to make sure that there's enough, you know, that that, that collector base wants to become a long-term profitable company. And obviously, the larger auction houses have a better opportunity to, you know, do some one-off niche auctions anytime they want. Uh, and I think for me, over the next two or three years, I think you're going to primarily just see that. And I think you'll see probably a handful, potentially, uh, companies do what 90s uh, auctions is doing as well. You know, but probably not, uh, maybe a little bit broader of a category, like maybe more focused on like tobacco cards, mm. um, you know, maybe focused on game use memorabilia. Um, I, as far as, you know, I don't, I, how far that, that'll shrink to be as specific is, is will be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. The 90s is such a special period in the in the history of the hobby. And I'm talking about the second half of the 90s, not the first half that I, I, I like what they're doing over there. I think it, I think it's pretty cool. Let's say hello to the Loud Collector. Happy Sunday to you. Good to see you. Frank Costella. Good to see you. He says, I think you must have mentioned earlier, uh, Ryan, about some of the advantages that auction houses offer. So he's asking, what are some of those advantages that auction houses offer? Do you want to just call out a couple? As far as like, you know, the items that they offer, the advantages that they have, I mean, obviously they have, you know, their, um, you know, the way that they promote stuff is a huge advantage to them, both from getting material as, you know, they, things come out of the woodwork because these auction houses spend a lot of money promoting their auctions. I hope that's kind of what the question might be referring to, um, you know, as opposed to like what advantage that, you know, a, a private sale is, you know, buying and selling at a card show. Um, but the auction houses, um, I think if you're a seller, they just reach more people in general, right? So, I mean, if you have an item and, you know, you want to, you know, sell it, uh, I have always believed that the auction, uh, the auction route is the best route. It gives both, you know, it gives you uh, extreme uh, vibe, you know, visibility amongst a huge collector base, which is the most important thing, I think, when you're selling your items. Um, I also think that usually the whole purpose of an auction, it brings fair market value for the most part, or, you know, that's really, that's their goal. I mean, the auction house makes more money, the higher the item goes for. So it's their incentive to do the best job they can to promote it. So I think that's one of the big advantages. Yeah, no, fair. Appreciate that. I want to remind everybody too, uh, on the collectible platform, their bids wanted in competition. I believe they're calling it the February version because they launched last Sunday. You've got half an hour left today to get an offer in, in the initial phase for the assets that are being offered on what we're calling the BWIC or the bid bids wanted in competition. So check out the collectible platform and again, 30 minutes to get in an initial bid or offer on any of those items that they have uh, on this month's version. So check that out. And uh, also just because I have it on the ticker right now, the Mint Collective is coming up at the end of the month. Are you going to be there? Right. And I believe we met there last year. Yes. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there this year again? Yes, I'll be there again. I did. I met you briefly last year, very briefly. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic event. I would encourage if you're a collector, it's, and I, you should be there. It's it's a fantastic event, not just for you know just networking, just networking by itself to meet some yeah. great people in this industry, to say hello. Uh, if you're new, if you've been around forever, definitely go to it if you can. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, so do I. I can't wait. I'm I'm fully booked going to be there from uh, the Wednesday till the Monday. So I look forward to seeing you there. Maybe not as brief this time. We can uh, have a conversation. I'm, I'm very excited for the Mint Collective this year. Something else you wanted to jump in with? 
I was going to remind people too, the Mint Collective is unlike any other sports card show you've ever been to. I mean, it, it's, it's just such a high-end, high-quality presentation throughout the, all the days that you're there. It's a really cool experience. You know, if you've never uh, been to a convention, whether art industry or others, that, you know, uh, they go all out. I mean, from the moment you walk into the hotel to get to the convention space um, and while you're there, it's, it's first class, which is a, it's just great. It's a great experience, and I really do hope people go to it. Yeah, same here. We have a question from DG. He says, why don't more auction houses provide videos of more listings? Seems like a critical piece of info from the buyer's side. Hard to judge a card sometimes from just a photo. I really couldn't agree more with this comment by DG. I know, as far as I know, uh, PWCC is really the only auction house that does it, but I do work with PWCC, so I'm more in tune with what they're doing. And I do think that those video pieces are adding a real nice service to the consigners and it's also, or the consignees, I suppose I would say. And it's also giving the buyers that much more information because cards can look a lot different at different angles. So do you have any insights into, into this at all, Ryan, your thoughts on it? A lot of it has to do with logistics. Uh, again, it just, you know, it requires the auction houses to have more people working, more time uh, and to put it in there. They're under the gun for the most part. Um, I, you know, photography has gotten so amazing these days where you can just zoom in on, on you can see everything if it's done right. So I think what's really important is that the auction houses just keep improving. The photo side is probably the most important, especially for cards, right? You can, you can blow them up and see the the, the paper quality to like threads on some of these photographs that are taken. So, um, you know, the, 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 the video part would is enhances it. It does provide an extra service. Um, I don't know that the, you know, again, the video, it's not the end all be all that would make it perfect, but it's a nice added feature. If an auction house can do it, I just think it comes down to, you know, the logistics on the back end to be able to do the, the videographer, you know, having a videographer there to do it correctly. And the amount of time it actually might take to do that for each and every lot. Um, I do some of the some of the auction houses, obviously on specific key high value pieces, uh, tend to you know sometimes do that here and there. Uh, but I do think it. Uh, I think as long as the photo quality is well, it's serving a good purpose. And hopefully, as time moves on, technology advances, maybe it becomes easier to do the you know, uh, video photography. Yeah, I think it, it definitely comes down to resources, human resources, time. It also comes down to website functionality. And is the platform that the auction house is using, is it is it going to be able to accommodate video? PWCCs is a proprietary system, so they built it to, to accommodate that. But some of these more out-of-the-box uh, platforms that the auction houses use may not uh, be able to accommodate, accommodate. I will say, though, I agree with what you're saying in terms of like photography as far as vintage goes. Because with vintage, you know, the, the car, there's no... No foil, really. You're not looking at or no refractors, nothing where an image isn't going to let you see it. Although when it comes to surface and maybe a surface dent or a pit, dimples, even some creases, you can't see some of those with photography unless you're changing the angle at which the picture is being taken from. Whereas with video and even on, I mean, even back to PWCC again, their 360 degree angle viewership is something that um, I think it's, uh, I think it's excellent. And as a buyer, you know, you've, you come to learn that you, you can't see a card in 2D completely, not all cards anyway. Uh, so I, you know, I push back a little bit on that, Ryan, but I think that, uh, I think that it's, 
think it's a really nice value add that that um, you know when the and hey, let's face it, competi- competition breeds innovation, and I think that's what led PWCC to where they are, and now they're the leaders in presenting the lots to the to the hobby to the buyers, and maybe some other maybe some other auction houses will follow suit, and maybe these out of the box auction platform providers will also figure out a way to add the video capability. Anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, you know, I guess the when you say the 360, you know, of the car that you see on P, I don't consider that the video side of things. So I mean, I just consider that a different way of photographing an item. You know, when yeah. I refer to like video, it's almost like someone holding it up and they're talking to you and showing you the piece. Sure. That's kind of how I'm envisioning the video question. So if that's what they're asking, I just, you know, again, I think we're on the same page. It's a great feature. And like I said, anything that adds to the presentation, whatever it may be, can only enhance things. So I hope, you know, things keep improving over time. If there's anybody watching right now who is a new auction house, how how do they go about getting listed and being part of auctionreport.com? Um, so basically what they have to do is just reach out to us. They can email us at info, info at auctionreport.com. Uh, we like to talk to them. So when they reach out to us, I actually give you a call, kind of get the understanding of what you're trying to do, what your goals are, uh, you know, what, what your background is, type of uh, items that you're going to be auctioning off to make sure that first off that auction report is going to be a good fit for your company and, and vice versa. I mean, that's one thing that we do is we kind we do screen a lot of people. I'm, I'm one of the few companies that probably, and I just don't take money just to take the money from a company. I want to make sure that it's a, you know, long-term relationship. And that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of with auction report. You know, over 90% of the companies that sign up for auction report renew every year. And that to me is what I'm most proud of uh, because obviously it's a good working relationship for both sides. And, you know, that's what I want for these new companies that come on board. You know, we don't, we have 50 companies over 18 years, so you can do the math and understand it's not a lot that we add, uh, you know, every year. Um, it's only maybe a couple, some years it's been one, some years it was four. Um, you know, we're very just kind of, you know, make sure it's a good fit is the most important thing. Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing that information. So let's talk about this now. This has been a hot topic recently with how we've seen values of certain cards move <laughs> you know I, I i'll just use the obvious one which is the the psa 10 michael jordan 86 fleer rookie card we saw that card at like twenty thousand dollars in 2017 we saw it shoot up to i think one sold for even eight hundred and forty thousand dollars sometime in 2021 or 2022 we saw those we saw those two sell on golden in in I think it was the end of January 2021 for seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars. And in talking to Ken Golden, he said he actually sold two more that night privately off auction. So he sold four Jordan PSA tens at the end of January 2021 at seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars each. And then we've seen that card come down, 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 down. Now we're at about one hundred and fifty to one eighty or so, as far as I know. So. We've seen a lot of that. And there's a the narrative that I referred to earlier is that a lot of a lot of like social media postings and commentary that I'm seeing are people are taking out frustrations based on this decreasing value of some cards on auction houses. They're saying, why would you put two of these up on a night? Or why would you put one up every month? Or why would, you know, if if Golden has one up, why is PWCC putting one up? Or why is Heritage? Or why is REA? Why are all these companies putting up these cards and therefore driving down the value because it's simple supply and demand, right? We see lack of supply. So 
the value goes up when a card hits the market. And then now this, now we, now everyone who's holding a PSA 10 Jordan real thinks to themselves, Oh, two just sold publicly for 720,000 mine's worth 720. I'm going to cash out. Let's offer it for sale. A couple get listed. They sell for set. Maybe they sell for seven, 650, 625. People see, Oh, wait a second. I don't want to miss out. I'm going to list mine 500, 475, 450, all the way down to where we're at now, like 150 to 180. So setting that context, this narrative that's out there that I, this, these, these, this criticism I see of people saying the auction houses need to take control of this and, and stop doing this, stop cannibalizing each other and the, the hobby itself. How do you respond to that criticism, that narrative? Well, first, the auction houses don't call each other up and go, hey, what are you going to sell in your next auction? Uh, this just doesn't happen. Um, you have to remember that first it starts with the consigner and what their wishes are. I mean, that's the job of the auction house, right? So if you're someone that owns a PSA 10 drone, which is a great example because it's, you know, I like to use extreme examples, right? Highest value cards, it's easier to understand that. So let's not forget prior to 2020, a P, I mean, probably 70% of the PSA 10 Jordan cards that were graded were prior to, you know, maybe even higher, right? Were, were graded prior to 2020 when things started to just go through the roof, right? So the average PSA 10 card was selling for under $40,000. Let's not forget that. So you have hundreds, or I should say hundreds, you have a couple hundred cards at probably that people have bought over the years that are probably sitting in them for between the $4,000 level and the $20,000 level. That's a huge factor just to begin with. So when someone calls you up at any given time over the last three years and says, hey, I got a PSA 10, I see them going through the roof, I want to sell it, they, they may just need the money. I mean, it's a huge increase in value. So I think it, it has to start with the consigner first, not the auction house. You call up an auction house, I think it's their job to explain to you maybe what the market is and what the trend that they're seeing. And they have to ask the consigner what their goals and wishes are with their card. I mean, again, everyone is in a unique situation. So there's no one answer that fits all. And you know, when people obviously, you don't like to see cards go from $700,000 down to 130, optics doesn't look good. It's not good for the market, but a guy that has a PSA 10 that bought it for $5,000 also doesn't want to say, hey, I don't want to hold on this card and, and see it drop to $28,000 again. I need to take advantage and make a profit. So they'll call up an auction house and say, hey, you know, I have a PSA 10 Jordan card. I just, you know, saw you sell for $180,000. What do you think? And the auction house might say, hey, listen, we're seeing a downward trend. And, you know, I think if you sell it now in our auction, you're probably going to see, let's say, the 150 to 180. It's kind of like an example of the conversation they're probably having. And you have to ask the consigner, what do they want to do? Because, you know, uh, you can't hang on to something forever and try and hit the top of the market every single time. I think that's a really bad idea. And, and one of the hardest things for anyone to do as a collector, probably even as an investor, is to take a loss, uh, you, know, or, or, you know, or take your profits before there are none and reinvest them in something else. And sometimes guys that have these cards, I think that's what they're doing. I mean, they're A, they're just like, hey, you know what? I'm going to make a good chunk of money. It's not what I thought it was going to be at this point in time. I don't, I think the auction houses have to do their job and that's how they make, you know, their money. People come to them and say, I have a card. I have this Jordan 10. I know the market's down. I need to sell it because I need to take a chunk of money and reinvest it somewhere else. So I, I don't blame the auction houses for the downward trend. It does come down to supply and demand. I mean, that's not the auction houses. Uh, they can't necessarily control that uh, at the end of the day. So you have to, you know, taking all these variables, every consigner is different. Everyone, every consigner's 
situation is different. So I I think it's just a little bit. Um, I don't think you can blame the auction houses, you know, for the downward trend. Uh, you yeah. just have to look at each situation on its own. Yeah, you said a lot of good stuff there, and I, I agree with it. Um, I think uh, you know maybe the lesson to be learned is don't buy a card the first time it's offered in a long time because that's going to bring more out of the woodwork and might bring the value down. So, cause we say, let's not blame the auction houses or it's not, it's not their responsibility. It's not, you know, the and consigners have every right to sell cards if they want. Uh, but maybe it's the buyers who need to be a little bit more careful about what they're buying and to, to not drive up the values so that they can only come back down, which isn't a good look on the hobby. I mean, we have to, we have to consider there are pumper and pumper and dumper sort of groups and schemes out there that are going to be in any, any industry where there's money. So th there's something there, but I like, I really liked what you said about, you know, if, if I'm going to call up an auction house and say, Hey, I want to sell my PSA 10 Michael Jordan rookie that I'd want them to explain to me what's going on before they just say, okay, send it, send it over. So I think that's, that's a great point you made. How they should be talking about the trends, how things have gone, maybe how many others are going to be in the in their next auction or how many they know are going to be in the next couple of auctions. Because that's something like, let's say I let's say I've got a PSA 10 Jordan and I call up PWCC and I say, hey, I'd like you to sell my Jordan rookie for me. And they don't have any more that they know of in the next month. And then someone else calls them up and says, hey, same thing. I've got a PSA 10 Jordan rookie. I'd like to sell it. Well, as the first person to put one in their auction, I'm going to be upset if a second one comes in again, mm -hmm. right? So does this question I have for you now is, does the auction house have a responsibility to the first consigner of a certain, you know, important big card like that to maybe not just accept every other one that comes trickling in before the consignment deadline, because that might have changed my mind. If I knew there were going to be three of them, I might mm -hmm. say, forget it, pull mine. I don't want mine in there with that competition. How does the consigner handle that? And what responsibility do you feel the auction house has to those earlier consigners within the same auction catalog? Well, I think, you know, first off, these are unique situations and, you know, the odds of, you know, four people calling, hey, I have a Jordan PSA 10 I want to put in your, you know, same auction would be a unique situation. But I do think that as a consigner, these are questions you need to ask. And you might have to even make stipulations within your consignment, consignment agreement. And we're talking about very high end items for this type of scenario, right, where you might have the leverage to be able to say, hey, listen, if I'm going to give you this type, you know, this six figure item, I want to be guaranteed that I'm the only one that consigning to this auction you can ask the worst case is they say well we can't guarantee it and then you can call somebody else and shop around and see what you know maybe there is an auction house that you're comfortable with that would give you that stipulation in your consignment agreement i think for the most part most of the auction houses are smart enough to understand when you need you when multiples are allowed of a certain card or certain piece of sports memorabilia and when they're not so it's not necessarily a, a big issue but you know and, and cards every item is different too so like when you have, you know, we're talking about a PSA 10 Jordan card. Obviously, I would be upset if there were three of them and I was the first one, you know, to put one in as a consigner. No question about that. I don't see that happening very often, if at all, for the most part. Um, you know, as far as the frequency of them popping up amongst different auction houses, that's a little bit out of anybody's control, right? Because you just don't know who's going to consign to a different auction house once you've placed yours somewhere else. Um, so, but when you're talking about like, 
you know, the, the opposite side of an example of a, a more common card that's $500, let's say that fluctuates between, doesn't even make a difference what the card is. You know, if it's a card that typically sells between $500 and $700, having five of them in an auction probably is not going to make a big difference to the consigners of any of them. So it's really more, it's more of a, a question that, you know, when it's high-end items, the best thing I could recommend to any consigners, you have to talk to the auction houses. You have to ask them these questions. Get agreements within your consigner agreement on, you know, what you want your parameters to be. And that's how you make your decision of who you want to deal with. Uh, and there's, like I said, we cover 50 auction houses. I would always recommend no matter what, call at least two or three of them when you have such an item and find out, you know, what the deal is. Because it's not just how many are in an auction, but it could be the consignment rate you're being charged, how long it's going to take to process once the item's sold. Um, you know, how fast you get your money? Are you in need of it in 30 days, 45 days, 10 days? Uh, there's a lot of variables that go into it. So finding out that information, being comfortable ahead of time is the, the key to it all. So uh, CRT Sports Cards, Chris, good to see you, says this is where the comp discussion comes into play. People in the hobby try to link previous sales together to build a narrative for a chart about a card, but every sale has a different story. Uh, yeah, I mean, not only every sale, but every chart <laughs> has a different because, you know, again, we talk about the Jordan rookie. It's taken on, on a life of its own. Its sales history has taken on a life of its own. And people are using it to try and explain what's gone on over the last three years. And at the end of the day, if you knew, if everyone knew in January of 2021, how you know, that that. Golden's going to sell two of them. They're going to sell at 720 each, publicly sell two, and then it's going to come trickle, trickle, trickle down. Those sellers may have worked together, maybe would have spaced out the sales a bit more. Um, who, who knows? I, I mean, we're, we're, I'm just kind of, uh, it's fantasy what I'm talking about right now. That could never happen or it didn't happen. So, but I understand what Chris is saying. And I think it's important to really dig into comps and understand what was, what was going on at the time? You know, how many people or was it? Uh, we can go deeper, deeper into comp. So I won't, I won't get into that right now. But thanks for the comment, Chris. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Frank Estella says, where do you see the buyer's premium rates going? They seem to be trending upwards. To me, Ryan, it seems like buyer's premiums have always been about 20%. I, uh, it's kind of a standard amount. What do you say to, to Frank? Is that you think they're going to be uh, staying there, coming, going up or coming down? I think you're going to see pretty much the range stay about the same. Uh, I would imagine. I mean, you just, it just reaches a point where it just becomes you—you—you you, you price people out. It would just be unappealing uh, to be able to have to bid. Basically, when the what usually happens, no matter if you know buyers' premiums are you know go up or down, the bidding kind of can calculate those differences, right? So, I mean, like when you're bidding, I, I would hope so. I mean, when you're bidding on an item and you know you're bidding a thousand dollars, let's say the buyers' premium is at twenty percent. Hopefully, you're bidding. You know, factoring in what you're going to be paying, you know, with the buyer's premium. So if the buyer's premium tends to go up, you probably are going to bid a little bit less to compensate for the increase in buyer's premium. Um, but I don't see any trend of them going up because I do think competition that's out there. Again, that's another reason why I think having as many auction houses as you can, good quality auction houses, is good for the buyer uh, and the seller because it keeps all the buyer's premiums and consignment rates kind of in check because you're competing, right? When you have a you know, again, we, we keep using the high-end example, you know, of items that are, you know, six figures. That's huge competition for an auction house to land one, right? I mean, there's, the rates can fluctuate, consignment deals can fluctuate. So um, they know that they have to be competitive 
uh, in order to you know land these items. And um, you know, as a buyer, you should obviously, no matter what the you know, buyer's premium is, whether it's as low as some of them are five percent, you know, or high as twenty-six percent, I've seen. You know, obviously, you just have to factor that in your bidding, and it does play a factor. I mean, when people do, when people are bid bidding, they are, you know, at these levels, they are factoring in those buyer premium amounts. Yeah, I mean, I certainly do. When I'm buying at auction, I'm always bidding the amount I want to ultimately pay divided by one point two or whatever the buyer's premium is. I don't. I, that's how I do it. I mean, I think you're, if you're not, you're you're really going to be in for for a surprise. I do. I am. I am aware that some companies. Do- use a bit of a sliding scale for their for their uh sellers premiums and buyer maybe not buyers premium but sellers premium they'll use a sliding scale which is really nice and i think sometimes you can negotiate with auction companies to get your card in there and i even know pwcc gives back a percentage of the buyer's premium to the seller in some cases as as you get more and more expensive which i think is a great way to attract cards onto onto their platform all right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, auction, the auction business is definitely an interesting place. That's for sure. Uh, we're going to wind down soon. So I'm going to ask you to make your answer to this one as, as short as possible. Your thoughts on Fanatics, the Tops Conference just happened. Any comments on, on, on that along with what you're seeing and what you expect to see in the hobby as we move forward? The, the one thing that I, I saw out of that conference is they want to grow the hobby 10x of, of people. That to me is fantastic. That's going to have ripple effect across every segment of our hobby if they're able to accomplish that growth, adding people in at that rate is nothing but positive uh, for everybody, whether you're an auction house, a dealer, a collector, consigner. Um, it's going to have great effect on everybody. So I think that would be just the, you know, the quick answer to that. And the thing I was most excited to hear about was just that their vision is growing this industry uh 10x um that would be absolutely amazing even if they're off by 80 percent and it only grows 2x uh yeah. that'll still be absolutely fantastic that'll still still be a win for sure now in the absence of fanatics growing the hobby 10x in the nearest future how do you see the rest of 2023 playing out well i'm excited for it I'm, i've always been positive no matter what the maybe economy is because there's the beauty of the auction business is that there's kind of different levels for everybody um, Obviously, certain segments may take some hits. Uh, pricing may readjust itself over the last three years. We've already seen that. I mean, let's not forget the last three years is insanity. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. When you know, prices, what they were prior to 2020 to what they were through 2022, pretty much in every segment of the market, no matter you know cards or memorabilia or whatnot, everything exploded. So I think you know for this year, I think you're going to see some more um, leveling out uh, of some certain you know segments within collecting you know whether it's car you know cars modern day or whatever um but i think that like anything else i think that uh the auction houses and the material that's going to come to market is, is going to continue to grow i don't see that stopping uh there's still people with plenty of money people that you know there are people doing quite well still uh, that are willing to spend um and i think that you know people i'm, I'm very optimistic I've, I've never not been optimistic about this industry even during certain dips uh, because you know, again, there's so many segments within our industry of collecting or, you know, or investing in that it kind of can ride out any recession. You know, you just might have yeah. to shift a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Lab Collector says buyer's premium, the bane of a true collector's existence. I, I mean, I'm not sure if it's the bane, uh, Loud Collector. You just have to factor it into what you bid. Uh, sim- really, it just becomes a part of the price. So that that's what 
kind of my thoughts on it. I don't, I don't, and I'm a true collector. I think, I feel like I am. It, I don't feel it's the bane of my existence. And at the end of the day, auction companies need to make some money. So it does take money out of the, it doesn't even take it out of the ecosystem if these companies are reinvesting, uh, which I, I guess all of them aren't. Uh, Loud Collector does say, I know it's just math. It is, yeah, exactly. It's just math. You just gotta, but you gotta be aware of it. That's for sure. You know, you said you're you're always kind of bullish or excited about the hobby moving forward, right? So am I. I'm always bullish on the hobby. But when I say I'm bullish on the hobby, it doesn't mean that I think every card I own is going to go up in value all the time. It means I'm bullish on the hobby being a, something that enhances my life, makes it better. I, I just love being involved in it. So I'm always bullish on the hobby as a lifestyle. Sports cards is a lifestyle. It's part of the sports cards live song. So I'm uh, just... But as well, as far as values go, you know, if you're if you have a if you have a horizon that extends out far enough, I think you can always be bullish. I, I think that there's always going to be uh, value associated with our cards, and as time goes by, I do think that they will raise rise in value. It might not be; it might be a bumpy road, but I think if you flatten that curve over time, you're going to see a nice ROI. But it might, you know, might take, you might have to look out, not, you know, you might not only look out 30 or 60 days like you could have during the pandemic. You might have to look out five to 25 years. I always say I'm a 25 year horizon guy. So it makes sense to me to look that way. That, that's, you know, and that's actually one of the biggest things that's changed in our industry as a whole is just the the fast turnaround times, you know, flipping. I mean, that's, that's really changing a lot. You know, it's, it happens a lot more now than it ever has. I think, you know, people's vision is 30 days, flip, buy, sell, buy, sell. That wasn't the case back in the day as much as it is today. So, but I, I agree with you hundred percent, like long-term, I think things are very healthy in our industry overall. So let me ask you, uh, collectible themselves. Are you featuring collectible on auctionreport.com or is, is the BWIC platform that they launched in January? Is that an auction platform that is suitable for auctionreport.com yeah we do cover collectible we started with their fractional offerings and fractional is just another uh form of an auction when you really think about it there's a lot of similarities between the two it's it's a different way of doing it and now the you know bwic uh you know auction i think they actually called the bwic auction obviously is a is another auction uh, a platform so to speak it's a little, a little different um we do cover them as well and um it's interesting i mean again they i give collectible credit you know they're offering new versions uh to collectors and consigners uh you know a tweak on the auction industry or you know how auctions have typically been presented and they're usually doing it from you know, taking it from like outside like the investment world you know their fractionalization and the bwic is more common outside of our industry um and not to bore people with details but like spectrum licenses that's how these things are sold a lot of times. It's sealed bids, um, you know, and where they, you know, basically allow whomever to bid and they take the top three, they let them adjust their bids and then they kind of decide if they really want to sell it or not. So it's an interesting play. Um, I'm, I like to take things kind of, you know, slow. I'm very conservative to see how it's going to be. I don't make, right, you know, rush to judgment on this, you know, how successful it is or isn't going to be. Uh, but it's, it is fascinating. And obviously they're presenting some quality pieces. And they're presenting quality pieces from other collectible categories like original comic art and wine and and you know doing collectible live in partnership with collectible has 
afforded me the opportunity to meet a lot of these people and expand my interest and knowledge. And listen, I'm not I'm not about to start investing or collecting wine. It just doesn't interest me. But I'm tempted for so many of the other categories that Collectible has brought me as guests from type one, type two photos, memorabilia. I mean, I've been a card guy almost exclusively, you know, comic books, comic art, uh, tickets, all these things are so cool and so much fun to learn about. So uh, I like what they're doing for sure. And I like that they're innovating even with the, these sort of forms of, of, I won't say auction, but maybe it is forms of auctions through fractional and, and the BWIC, as you call it, the bids wanted in competition. So I think it's pretty cool. Um, I'm going to give you a, a final comment here, Ryan. I'm going to say thank you to everybody who joined us today. Thank you to uh, Loud Collector DG, Frank, uh, CRT, Chris. Thanks for your comments today, guys. Uh, but we're going to wrap up, Ryan. Uh, leave you the final word. Well, first off, thanks again for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. I hope that anyone that's watching, listening to this is, you know, if you're interested again to the auction, you know, world of collecting, bidding, or consigning, Sign up and register with all these auction houses. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. There's a lot of information. It's really, it's really great, uh, you know, just to you know get the information. So I hope at least you take the time to do that. It's fun. Our industry as a whole, it's fantastic. So I just, you know, I want to encourage people to get in there, visit auctionreport.com. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And I think you'll enjoy the service that we provide for you. Right on. Well, hey, thanks for joining the show, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. I've been, I enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I want to say, everybody, have a great rest of your evening. If you are into hockey collecting, I'll be covering the PWCC Hockey Weekly. We'll be going live in an hour and a half. Same on, on the Sports Cards Live YouTube channel. So feel free to join there. If not, have a great week ahead. Thank you very much, Loud Collector. Thank you, Jeremy, fellow Fireball. Brendan Ryan says the best friend of the auction house and competitive collector is the Megabit. Thank you, Brendan Ryan. And peace of the game. Good to see you. Thank you for joining. Ryan, hang tight right there. Everybody else, again, thank you so much. This episode is over. Thank you, Frank. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.